0: WCNC Charlotte, this is Flashpoint, where power and politics collide, and the tough questions get asked and answered.
1: Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. The North Carolina Senate race still more than a year away. On the Democratic side, former Chief Justice of the North Carolina Supreme Court, Sherry Beasley, State Senator Jeff Jackson, and former State Senator Erica Smith, the big names to watch on that side. On the Republican side, you've got Congressman Ted Budd former North Carolina governor Pat McCrory and former Congressman Mark Walker. This morning we continue our series of interviews with the candidates. Joining us today, former Congressman and current US Senate candidate, Mark Walker. Thanks for coming on, we appreciate it. Ben, glad to be here with you, thank you. Uh, you, I don't have to tell you, this is a a crowded field. Why why are you
0: running? Uh, I think it comes down to, to a pretty simple measure. It's our record in the US Congress for six years of being able to go into the swamp maintain our conservative credentials but do some things that, frankly had not been done before uh, youngest member ever to chair the largest caucus last member to get a balanced budget amendment to the floor and i did all that while still winning and being the only elected republican to give the commencement address to the hbcu as well as winning the uncfs president's award so you can go to dc you cannot compromise hold your values and still speak to all communities that's what we did for a pastor for 16 years and the last six years in the U.S. House.
1: Um, m- more on that record coming up in just a minute. But, but first, we know that at this point, um, Tim Scott of S- South Carolina, Madison Cawthorn, um, as well as Mike Huckabee, all uh, have endorsed you, supported you. Um, we know Ted Budd has got the support of, of President Trump, which we know is a, a, a weighty thing in the Republican Party. Um, And then you have Pat McQuarrie, who's perhaps the most well-known person in the race, at least on a statewide level. What do you see as your lane in this race to differentiate yourself from the others?
0: Yeah, my my lane is the people, not DC Super PACs. When I ran in 2014, uh, ran against Phil Berger Jr., uh, who we know his dad, Phil Berger Sr., as well as Phil Berger Jr., good people, but part of the establishment name in Raleigh and in North Carolina, That didn't deter us. But more importantly, Ben, we made a promise in 2014 that we would win the Republican nomination without taking a single dollar from any DC Super PAC. That's exactly what we've done. And for people like McCroy who are connected with the establishment, my friend Ted Budd, who has a DC Super PAC bragging and boasting about $10 million set aside for him. I have to worry that the viewer today that if somebody is coming out with that kind of Super PAC money, Who who is your allegiance to? Who really owns the process to your vote? If you're looking for somebody that's just a man of the people, who's gotten there, who's never been connected with these guys, I think that this is going to be our path through and we're already seeing some of the tangible results from it.
1: You you tout yourself as both a champion uh, of conservative values and also a bridge builder. Um, Mm -hmm. That that is a threading a a needle that that can be tough sometimes in politics. How do you see that you can appeal to say Democrats and liberals who who live here in Charlotte and and potentially could vote for you?
0: Well, I don't know that we have a game plan to appeal necessarily to Democrats and liberals. What we do have a plan to is make sure that we're appealing to people in North Carolina who want to make sure that they put this country first, to put this state first. And if they're looking for somebody that's not tainted by the swamp, uh, then then we're going to be their choice. We've got six months to play that out For example, uh, I have the number one rated America first pro-Trump conservative score. Uh, I think Mr. Budd is fourth or fifth just among our members of North Carolina, uh, the congressional delegation. Yet at the same time, there there are HBCU campuses that I can walk on, sit down with the president because some of our work to build those bridges. It's not necessarily sometimes as far as the ideology, sometimes it's the approach. I don't run or shy away from my conservative background, my conservative principles, and being a champion for those conservative things. But I think if we truly love our neighbor as ourselves, to throw a little scriptural reference in there, I think it changes our approach one more of compassion than condescension.
1: Um, Funny you say that, because you talk about scripture and you talk about sort of taking a different tone in politics. Would you say that that the way you approach politics is different than, say, Donald Trump?
0: Yes, I think that's fair to say now we have the same goals in mind to be able to further an agenda of individualism and hope and opportunity and prosperity for all. But I believe my approach is a little bit different. First of all, I'm, I'm called as a believer to have a little bit of different approach. But it doesn't mean that you don't fight. It doesn't mean that you don't engage the battle. But the goal is to fight, but also to fight and to win. And I think the strategy in building those relationships, look, they're not going to be perfect every time, nor are you going to sway everybody. But if that person can see your heart, whether they're conservative or even somebody in a moderate or independent, I think that's what gives us a distinct advantage over someone who only plays in one dimension. Nothing against my friend, but Mr. Bud, when you launch your commercial with AR-15s and monster trucks, that's to one dimension. Nothing wrong with either one of those. But are you or can you be more in a state like North Carolina? We have been more. We've been able to prove that we've been the more. And I think that's going to be enough to win this U.S. Senate primary race as well as the general election. Do you
1: think North Carolina is, a, a, in fact, a purple state?
0: I think it tends to be red. If you go back the last time that a Democrat won, I did the research the other day, uh, you have to go back to 90, 1998 when it was a midterm, and that was John Edwards. So, so in, in the Senate side, they do tend that North Carolina... We do tend to vote red or vote Republican, specifically when you see the failures of the Biden administration one after the other without relitigating all those, the Afghanistan, the border, the the inflation. It's going to get worse and worse because this administration simply cannot lead. But I think coupled with that and our history, I think it tends to be red specifically for 2022. Um, I
1: want to get your, your thoughts on something this week. The governor said he uh, is calling on religious leaders to help get more people vaccinated and dispel rumors about the pandemic. Um, I want to run a quick soundbite and then get your reaction. Sure.
0: Faith leaders from all religious backgrounds can be trusted figures in their communities. Their word can go a long way in encouraging people in their congregations to talk with doctors and understand that these vaccines are safe
1: Of course, you were a pastor for some 16 years, so I wanted your opinion on this. Do you think um, it's a good idea for one, the governor to lean more on religious um, organizations? And also, do you think that that religious leaders should be doing more?
0: Well, I I think this is where the medical providers come in. My my wife's a founding nurse practitioner, Wake Forest Baptist Medical Center. Yeah, I, I would trust my medical provider. I would trust my pastor, but I don't know that I could say that I would say that I would trust my governor. That, that, so, so his influence in this bears no bearing for me, I should say. Would I talk to the pastor? Absolutely. But, but we've gotta be careful being influenced by people who are in this for political gain. So I'll, I'll talk to my health care provider, I'll talk to my pastor, but I'll take a pass on Governor Cooper.
1: Uh, overall, how would you um, rate the, the current administration in the White House?
0: Well, <laughs> that may be the best, easiest question I guess you've thrown out there. I mean, it's a complete F. And if you look, don't just take a conservative Republicans. If you look at the drop in polls uh, over the last two months when this administration Joe Biden doesn't make a lot of his decisions, but one he owns is the debacle in Afghanistan. Uh, He's actually said that uh, Vice President Kamala Harris uh, is the one that's leading the effort at the border, those are probably two historic failures that we've seen, unlike any time in the past. So, so yes, I, I think that most people, if they're being fair, would give this uh, administration a complete failure position.
1: Uh, what would you give um, some of your opponents right now in the primary? First, I'll, I'll, I'll start uh, uh, with Pat McCrory and the job he's done while in office, um, whether it's his time as governor a few years ago or, or anything else. Overall, what kind of, con- um, I said, I, I guess you could judge on conservative credentials.
0: Yeah, I'll I'll do an overall view if that's okay. I I, I think Pat is a good guy. I like hanging around Pat. Uh, We have a good time connecting just one-on-one. But I think for the voter in North Carolina, they're going to have to make a decision. Uh, when, When Pat is on his fourth time running statewide and he's only won once, that should be concerning. Re- regardless of him being in the establishment lane, I think that is as large a factor as anything else. But when other Republicans below and above him on the ticket have won repeatedly, and he's not been able to, to do so, the reason why that's so important, Ben, is Chuck Schumer, from what we understand, is going to make this the most expensive U.S. Senate race in history. You're going to be top of the ticket. And if you have continued to fail to win statewide, I don't know if that's the best candidate. Uh, that, that would be so I don't know if it's necessarily a grade specifically but that would be my concern moving forward for uh, for the former governor and size up Ted Budd you know I, I just think you have to be careful uh, aligning your wagon to somebody who has been bought since day one if you look at the 2016 uh, election uh, his super PAC came in spent 600 and something thousand dollars as I said I never took a penny from a DC super PAC the reason that that's so important There's going to be critical moments and critical votes like we have seen in times past where that special interest group is calling you. They've called me. I didn't have to vote their way. But when somebody comes out and says, look, let me back it up this way. I think Ted's a decent guy, but this is someone in Congress who has never passed anything, who has never led anything, who doesn't even have the top Trump score in his own state. So why is it that a super PAC, D.C. super PAC, would come in and boast about Spending $10 million. In fact, they just bought $3 million of TV to try to boost the numbers. That should concern all of us. Decent guy, but once you let these guys get their hooks in you, as I like to say, once you give your voting card over to the swamp, they never give it back.
1: It strikes me, though, that that all three of you are running as outsiders, even though all of you have been in politics for quite some time.
0: Well, I, I don't know that that's been our brand, but I will tell you this. I think experience to be able to go in the middle of a place like DC without being tainted, without selling your soul, without getting bought up by these DC super PACs or special interest, I think from the voters perspective, that's the kind of person that I would want to get behind. Not somebody who's going there for the first time and certainly not somebody who's going there who's already been bought by the DC swamp.
1: All right, Mark Walker. Thanks for coming on, we appreciate it. Been
0: my privilege. Have a good
1: day. All right. Take care. More Flashpoint after this. Joining us now for the next part of today's show, LaWanna Mayfield. She's a former Charlotte City Councilwoman, also running for at large. And for the purpose of this conversation, we should, we should say she represented District 3, which is West and Southwest Charlotte. Um, and we've been talking redistricting the last week or so here in Charlotte. And you you made the point, your, your district, even though you're going to be running at large, your district um, one of the biggest, busiest, most thriving districts in Charlotte.
2: Exactly. When I was first elected in office in 2011, we I I was representing over 130,000 residents, which was interesting and challenging in itself because the district is very diverse. But thanks to the final numbers for the census, it's grown, and in addition, over 10,000 individuals have moved into Southwest Charlotte.
1: Wow, just part of a growing, thriving city. Um, I I mentioned it, the redistricting thing. This week, drafts of the new maps for Charlotte City Council districts were were released. Um, We're showing the screen, the three variations. And and honestly, for most viewers at home, you're gonna look at this and you're gonna say, well, okay, what's the difference? I mean, but it does make a difference because it means uh, you might change who you're represented by. Um, The makeup of City Council probably not gonna uh, change that much differently. Um, I wanna play a clip. Uh, two of your former colleagues on city council um, get into a bit of a spat when it came down Mm -hmm. to making sure city council was representative politically of the city of Charlotte. Take a listen. Why did you hold the vote before I got there, Mr. Graham? Answer that question.
3: It I
2: was, was going to be
0: first, at the meeting. The only Republican who was going to be at the meeting, and you held the vote first, before I got there. It was the first item on the agenda, Mr. Dreggs, You were. And Mr.
2: Chair, you had
4: the absolute uh, discretion uh, to change the sequence of the meeting. It was within your authority in order to have a representative of the other party there when the vote was taken on partisan issues related to redistricting. Mr.
0: Draz, it, it is you, slippery. It was, first, it was not slippery, and we told you exactly what we did and why we did it, and you said nothing. Not a word.
1: Again, they were talking about whether or not it should be required that that Charlotte be representative um, by Republicans and Democrats in in, um, city council, proportion to what they represent here in the city. Uh, Your your take on how these district lines are coming down.
2: So it's interesting. It's always a different conversation when you're not there and a part of the conversation. If I were on council, then I would have shared my ideas and concerns regarding extending the districts versus. When we look at the maps, because if you look at it again, district three alone over 141,000, but district one and six around 115,000 where the districts are additionally when they were created, the idea was around 125,000. The city has grown enough where it could accommodate eight districts at this point, including the at large members. The other challenge I have is anyone that paid attention agree or disagree with. My concerns and how I voice my concerns, the voting records show that I am a policy person as someone who was a chair. If I knew one of my members was going to be running late and it was a, an important item, I would automatically move the item down later into the agenda just to make sure that the voices are heard. Nine to ten chances you're going to be outvoted, but the reality is at least be a part of the process. So the discussion, there's some validity in it, but the reality is the areas that are represented currently by the only two Republicans that are on City Council, and that's by electoral votes, are toward the smaller areas throughout the city. So there is an opportunity, and there's a very close, a close percentage especially in district seven of the number of registered Republicans and registered Democrats. But that number is outweighed by the number of unaffiliated voters. We have a growing number of unaffiliated in our community that don't necessarily feel like they're being represented. And honestly, a an eighth district could possibly help create more input from the community at large.
1: Um, do, you, do you think about the way it currently is made up That that two Republicans on city council, that's about what it should be as far as Republican districts. Keep in mind, uh, uh, overwhelmingly part of the city is Democrat. As you just alluded to, a large part is unaffiliated. Then about 20% or so say uh, tends to lean more Republican.
2: I think for me, it's more about making sure that the representational numbers are more accurate because people change party affiliation all the time. You have individuals on council and they have run run for council who voted Republican for many years. But then when they got in office, they ran on a Democratic ticket. So people change which party affiliation that they have. A dream world, we wouldn't have party affiliation. You would be able to just vote for the best candidate of your choice. And if there was a candidate representing a different party that you like more, you wouldn't just get a straight party ticket ballot. That's not the reality that we're living in today. So today it's a question of how do we make sure all of our residents have an opportunity to make sure that their voices are heard and they get a chance to at least, especially in the primaries, because the primaries are when most of our elections are won, give them a chance to vote for the candidate of their choice. But I think we have some wiggle room in how the districts are rejoined because there's a big gap between 141,000 and 115. And that needs to be addressed
1: you've run now several times um with mixed results uh, after this last um, election yep. so, some people might say why on earth are you running again
2: because i love the city that's really what it boils down to i love my city yes i ran for a different seat when i first ran in 2011 i went to the community and i told them give me eight years because honestly i am not a fan of one person sitting in a seat to perpetuity, once you get in, you learn, you grow, you identify other opportunities, you open the door for someone else to come in with new ideas and energy, but you're supposed to continue moving forward. I chose to move forward. It was a very close race when we go back and look at it, considering I was going from district to at large seat, but even at that, even in 2021, you're still seeing the fruits of the work that the foundational work that i laid when i was a district rep i still have people calling me today and have throughout the last year and a half needing assistance with city council related issues the community still needs a voice and representation so i'm coming back to say hey if you all would give me the chance to continue to serve you then i will step into that challenge and give it my all as i did for eight years
1: all right lawana mayfield Ms. mayfield thank you as always we appreciate it
2: Love joining you. Have a great day.
1: All right, more Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. We know there's a labor shortage right now, but there may be an untapped talent pool. Right here in Charlotte, one nonprofit is working to pair former prisoners and companies who are willing to hire them regardless of their record. WCNC Charlotte's Michelle Bowden shows us how the Senator for Community Center for Community Transitions is seeking solutions.
3: There's no question there can be a stigma when it comes to former inmates trying to get work, and this nonprofit is trying to change that. Robert Faust admits he wasn't always on the right path. In fact, he was a drug dealer.
2: I was actually in prison for a year and a half.
3: Now, though, he's got a full-time job he's proud of and a paycheck that's helping him support his 69-year-old mother.
2: It was real good to, be able to help her, So she's always been, been in my corner, had my back, so... I just feel like I need to return the
3: favor. Faust is a graduate of the LifeWorks Employee Readiness Program at the Center for Community Transition in Charlotte. In the last three years, the center has worked with 600 former inmates. 62% have found jobs. Particularly with the labor shortage, um, we've got
4: multiple industries in manufacturing and supply chain, transportation, healthcare, logistics. Um, We've got a lot of corporate headquarters where Um, Companies are looking for talent, and the justice-involved population has been um, a talent pool that has been overlooked.
3: So the center works with area companies like Bojangles and Dave & Busters to help them get past the stigma and feel comfortable hiring former inmates. What
4: we take a look at is HR process, and then we provide education on research that shows that justice-involved individuals tend to have higher productivity, tend to have
3: lower turnover. Faust has been a custodian at Dave & Buster's for the last four months.
4: I think it's a testament to the the success of the program and providing an environment and a space for people to remember that they are not the worst mistake that they've ever made, and then providing them with tools to rebuild.
3: The program has actually been around for 50 years, but not a lot of people know that it's right here in Charlotte, and they've also got another program dedicated to women, specifically also trying to reenter society. They tell me that program, too, has seen a lot of success. Reporting in Charlotte, Michelle Bowden, WCNC Charlotte.
1: More Flashpoint after this. And before we leave you, come over and say hello over on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You name it, we're there. If there's something you want us to talk about here on Flashpoint, let us know as always. Remember, keep in mind, we've got a podcast too. Yes, we have a podcast here on Flashpoint. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts and make sure you hit subscribe. We'll see you back here next week.